The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Hey guys, how we doing? Man, it's good to see you guys. I wanna, I wanna thank everybody who came out yesterday and helped us with the landscape day and the work day. It looks awesome, um, and it was, it was so fun. When I saw the mound of mulch and, and knew what we had to do, I was like, sweet Jesus, we're gonna be here all day. But it was like two and a half hours, so thank you guys for all that help. It was awesome, it looks great. I can't, I can't wait for Easter, the building's ready. It's like spring cleaning around here. I've been doing spring cleaning at the house. Heather's got me working Crazy honeydews, man. It's just nuts. Um, this week um, uh, is Easter. So next Sunday is Easter, just so you know, just to be prepared for it. And we send invitations out to the community. And if you, we have some extras of these that you can take, if there's uh, neighbors or friends that you want to invite, it has all of our service times. We're doing five services next week. And so you can come to any one of those. And what you could do is, is down in this section, you can write. Remember how your kids did this when you didn't give them enough allowance to buy you something good for Christmas? Um, they would write a coupon like, this is good for a foot rub. And you never got that, right? You know, you just get this cute little drawing. Like my kid's like, I've got all these foot rub coupons. I don't want people rubbing my feet, first of all. That's just, I'm not a foot person, so it's just gross. But you could write in there, um, good for one free lunch, and you take them to lunch, okay? Um, and so it'd be awesome things. So you can grab these. Ushers will help you uh, take some of those on your way out. And then um, one of the things that we, we do is, is we try to once a month give an update on our One Church campaign. And let me explain to you what One Church is if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, last fall, we, we kind of started in this process of a, a spiritual journey and a financial journey to, to increase capacity here at the creek. This is the third week of launching our new service format, and we have Saturday night services, and, and just in the last three weeks, we've been reaching over 900 people a weekend, and it's, it's, it's a little bit crazy around here, but it's awesome. But one of the things we prayed for was God increase our capacity, not just square footage, but increase our capacity for what you want to do in our life so you can do something through our lives because I love that God works in and through us. And so we have uh, incredible things happening um, in the financial process. I kind of want to give you an update on that. If you're visiting, um, you're welcome to listen to this. Um, or if you want, you can go on Yelp and check out how long await the new Cheddar's is down the road for uh, lunch. Um, but I need, to, I need to talk with our core team and our church family for just a second. Um, our commitments in November were, were over $1.2 million. And so far, we've had over 300,000 come in. And, and what's incredible about this is we've been able to front load some of the project costs. So we're almost done with design. We've been going back and forth and we, we're going, going through the architecture plans and all that stuff. And we've gone through those tedious meetings of do you want an outlet here or here? And I'm just sitting in the meeting going, I don't care. Um, I just know this. When I go to try to find somewhere to plug something in, there needs to be a plug. Okay? I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't care as long as one's there. So somebody else figure this out. I don't like getting into those details. But so on the design piece, we're, we, we're almost done. And to let you know, we've, we're, we're, we're designing a new commons area on that side of the building. So a giant lobby. Um, so even during our more full services, we can offer some video overflow and create a video environment in that space and have some more space for us to, to kind of mingle and move and, and do some things like, like put more tables and a prayer 
prayer room. And because uh, if you didn't notice, there's a barbecue table in the lobby. We've got Creek Fest next week. And I found out this morning that the last two champions aren't competing, they're judging. So it's wide open for the taking. So bring it on. Um, anyway, I can't get into that commercial. Um, so we're adding a new common space and on the back side, we're a new two story where the bottom level is gonna give us a capacity, more capacity in our children's area and some adult, an adult classroom because on Wednesday nights we're squeezing 30 men in a room which should have 15 in it. It's awesome, but we just need some more capacity. And so uh, the second floor on that, we're gonna leave that unfinished to determine what ministry needs most. Um, and so what I wanna thank you for is your faithfulness in that giving because we've been able to front load some of those things and we hope to be in construction this year as long as God gives us peace to continue taking those steps. Um, what I do want to talk to our church family about is, is something we've seen. The giving is very strong. Um, this year we have seen our giving grow and, it, and, and it's, it's, we're, we're, it's bigger than we've ever seen, but we're seeing something happen um, with our building process. Um, when we made commitments in the fall, um, we were making those to be a sacrificial gift, so above our tithe, and, um, and make that out of the sacrifice. And what we've seen is the building giving very strong, and the, the regular general offering um, is suffering a little bit. And I'm not standing up here saying we're in trouble, but I would much rather see us be able to accomplish ministry than build a building, because we're called to minister, not build buildings. And, and so I want to just talk to our people who, who committed and who are faithful to the church that if, if you would, if you need to change that a little bit, we can help you with that. Um, but we would rather you give primarily to the general fund instead of the building. And here's why. Um, as a church and as a nonprofit, we have designated accounts. So if, if that money goes into a, a fund that's just for a building, we can only use it for a building. So when we have people and needs in our community, we can't pull from that. And so we would much rather be a, a, a heavy ministry church than a heavy building church, because that's not what we're called to do. So um, thank you for letting me talk to you about that. I want you to pray about it. Thank you for being faithful. Um, those of you who, who know us at the Creek know we take giving very seriously. It's a very sacred um, act of worship. We don't pass a plate. We, keep the, we do the giving stations, because what we believe about giving is for you to do that with what God's put on your heart. I don't have to stand up here and guilt anybody or try to get anything. All I'm, all I'm called to do is preach the, preach the truth of this book. And I want to do this with every ounce of my guts and to love you with everything I got and let God handle the rest. And so that's kind of how we approach that. So thank you, for, thank you for your faithfulness in that and let me give you that update. Okay, visitors, I'm glad you're here, man. I hope, I hope it's not a long way to Cheddar's um, or you found somewhere you want to go. Um, but uh, sometimes around here, we just, I just got to talk to our family um, and our core team. And so we, we, this is the best way to do that um, because email, I just hate email and stuff like that and letters. So this is the best way for us to have that family time. Um, so if you got your Bibles, go to John chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back rows for, or back tables for you. Um, and if you don't own one, we want you to write your name in it and take that. That's our gift to you. Um, but John chapter 18 is where we're going to be, and uh, this is Palm Sunday, and, and, and uh, I spent some time studying not just about the triumphal entry, because on Palm Sunday was the day that there's all this excitement, and Jesus is riding in Jerus into Jerusalem, and people are screaming, you know, and like they think the king is coming in, and they're declaring him king, and what their expectation is, is that they're seeing a political Messiah come into Jerusalem, that he's going to overtake the government and bring the kingdom of heaven and bring the kingdom of God, and and everything's going to be good. All the oppression that the Jewish nation has been under, under Roman rule, is 
is going to go away and Jesus is going to free everybody and they're, they're going to get what they want out of Jesus. And that, that, I'm telling you, we, that, that would preach today, um, us getting what we want out of Jesus. But I, I spent time studying not just the triumphal entry, um, but I, I, I read all the way through the crucifixion and I was really kind of asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want shared this week. What do you want me to preach about? And, and in John, it's beautiful. I love the book of John, the gospel of John, because it's, it, he says it himself that he wrote these things so that we would know who Jesus is. We would know Jesus is the son of God. We would know who he is, who he says he is. And John gives us some deep insight into some things that are happening in this week of, in the life of Jesus before he goes to the cross. I mean, in this week, he rides into Jerusalem, just, man, just high intensity environment, just all this energy and all this, the, the cheering and everything. He spends some time with the disciples and he's preaching and, and making some things clear about the kingdom of heaven. He washes his disciples' feet and he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit who is coming. And he's, he goes through John 14, the I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he says, you know, the, the comforter is coming and the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. And he goes, he continues to teach. And then in, in John 17, we see this incredible prayer of our, of our Savior. I mean, the Savior of the world is praying for us. And he's praying for his disciples. And, and the, the prayer, if you've never read John 17, man, I encourage you this afternoon to read that. And, and let, let, the, let Jesus praying for you change your perspective. But where I want to pick up is in John chapter 18, because this is right after the prayer, right before Jesus gets arrested. And, and there's just a lot of things. I'm going to point out some things that, that God was really revealing to me, because it's incredible the symbolism that's going on. And, and, and Jesus is teaching his disciples during that week, and he said, I, I was speaking to you in figures of speech, and now I'm going to tell you plainly. And what's awesome is in the next paragraph, he, he says something and the disciples look at each other and go, he's not speaking in figures of speech. He's speaking plainly. Um, and so there's incredible symbolism that's happening. And, and I want to kind of lead into this. So John chapter 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. I think it's, it's, it's awesome that, that you see the kind of salvation being wrapped up in the garden. Because you go back and you think about God creating Adam in the beginning, and, and Adam was formed from the earth and from the dirt, and God breathed his life in him, and, and, and he, he enjoys this relationship with God, this connection with God that is unhindered. There's fullness in their communion. There's no shame in their relationship. And, and then all of a sudden, Adam sins, and, and he's cast out of the garden. And I think it's just beautiful that, that this stepping into this act of salvation and Jesus is praying in the garden and Jesus is in the garden with his disciples, just kind of this fullness that comes, comes in because in, in Romans it tells us that from the time Adam sinned, death reigned until the time of Christ. And so the garden, it, it's beautiful how the garden plays a significant role in what's going on. He's, I mean, because he's just thinking, man, this, I'm redeeming what Adam lost. I mean, through the sacrifice on the cross, He's getting ready to change everything about the curse of sin and death. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. 
Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I mean, when, when the Greek doesn't say, I am he. The Greek just says, I am. So they say, Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they're like, Jesus. He says, I am. I, th- I think back, not just to the garden, but I think back to Moses. Because Moses has an encounter with God. And he tells Moses, he says, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead my people out. I've seen the oppression of my people and I want you to lead them out. And Moses goes through this thing with God, like, I think you got the wrong guy. And God's like, I don't make mistakes, Moses. And Moses says, well, well, who do I tell him sent me? And he says, you tell him I am. I mean, so you've got I am who was and is and is to come that these soldiers are seeking. And, And when Jesus says, I am, the power of God. I mean, they could not stand under the presence of God. See, in John 17, Jesus prayed and he said, Father, glorify your son with the same glory that we had, that we shared from the beginning of the world. And I believe Jesus is walking in the fullness of the glory of God. And if you've, if you've had that encounter in the presence of God, you just, there's times you just can't stand. There's times where you're just, you're just like, the, the, the weight of this moment is so intense. And what happens is when Jesus, Jesus says, I am, and they realize they're in the presence of God and they cannot stand up. So Jesus continues on with them. So he said to them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I think they were probably laying on the ground. They're like, like we're, we're looking for Jesus. You know, can we get up now? I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'll tell you, man, my mind thinks, you know, if, if it's funny in scripture, I want to read funny. Now there's some heavy stuff getting ready to happen, but I just think, man, I just think Jesus probably does. I mean, it was pretty cool. He's like, he fell out. He didn't say get up. I don't see that. He's, he, but he says, whom do you seek? Jesus. So he said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. He, he, he's securing safety for the disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I've lost no one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name is Malchus. Malchus got his ear pierced by Peter. That's basically what's going on. I, I, I like Peter. Um, Peter's a little unfiltered, um, uncensored. And I can't wait to spend some time with him in heaven. Um, and and you, you think about this scene going on. I mean, you think it's crazy in your minivan when the kids are fighting in the back seat. And you, you, need, you need that go-go gadget arm to reach all the way back. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, go-go gadget arm. Google it. Just Google go-go gadget arm. You'll have fun the rest of the afternoon. Or some of y'all, different generations, stretch Armstrong. So you, you, when you realize you're in the van or you're in the car and your kids are just acting a fool and you can't reach them, and then you start doing the thing that you swore you'd never say, don't make me come back there. I'm gonna stop this car. I'll turn this car around. You do it. You know you do it. And then you make fun of yourself because you're like, I swore I'd never say that. My mom said that. My dad said that. I swore I was never. Anyway, but you've got chaos happening. I mean, Jesus has got his disciples in the garden and all of a sudden, chaos breaks out. The soldiers show up. Jesus said, I am he. They fall in the presence of God. They get up and Jesus said, look, if it's me you're looking for, let these men go. And then all of a sudden, the sword comes flying by and it's Peter. It's like, I got you, Jesus. I think Peter has terrible aim, 
I mean, otherwise, Jesus would have had to raise a man from the dead instead of fixing ear. But he's like, man, I'm glad you, I'm glad you can't see well, Peter. Um, anyway, but he rebukes Peter. He says, put your sword away. Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And that's what, that's what God just really just illuminated. Shall I not drink the cup my Father has given me? And so I wanna, what I want to preach to you about this morning is take the cup. Jesus is telling Peter, don't get in the way of this cup that's coming for me. My Father has prepared a cup, and, and I'm going to take it. Don't get in the way of that, Peter. Peter was constantly trying to get in the way. You know, when, when Jesus talked about his death, and Peter's like, I ain't going to let anything happen to you, Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He, I mean, he's rebuking Peter, but he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was unfiltered, uncensored, had a hot head. He was a protector. But Jesus says, you, you can't protect me from this. I'm going to take this cup. Jesus prays about this cup in Matthew 26. When you get another perspective from the, in the Gospels about this prayer that Jesus is having in the garden before he's arrested, he says, he says, my father, if it be possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I want what you want. So not as I will, but as you will. What's happening in that moment is Jesus is saying, father, I'm fully submitted and surrendered to drinking the cup that you put before me. And what was in the cup of, that, that the Father is giving him is death. It's suffering. It's shame. It's drinking the dregs of the sin of the world. So he who knew no sin became sin so that through him we can become the righteousness of God. And Jesus takes this, this cup. And, and as I'm thinking about it, I was like, well, Romans 12, 2 tells us that for the, the, the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so I started thinking, how is there joy in this cup that Jesus is taking? And I, I start thinking, well, it, it's about the glory of God. But, but if, if you spend time in your prayer time like I do, and, and, and I, I, like, I have to ask God a lot of questions because there's a lot of things that my understanding doesn't get to. And I'm like, well, God, um, help me understand this. Because in John 17, when, when Jesus is praying, he, he says, glorify me with the same glory that we had together before the world began. So Jesus had glory before. So the joy of the cross can't just be the glory because, because in in in, in in God, there's a perfect relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's perfect unity. There's no brokenness in their relationship. I mean, to imply that God the Father came to Jesus and said, well, Jesus, um, I'm going to take your glory away, and you got to go earn it back. That's brokenness in a relationship. You've destroyed my trust. You've got to earn it back. Why? Because there's some brokenness that happened in a relationship. They existed in perfect relationships. So I started thinking, God, why is it? Okay, so there's joy. So there's joy that he drinks from this cup. There's joy in this cup? I mean, I understand it to be suffering and shame and death and the weight of my sin, but yeah, there's joy in there. How is this possible? And, and, and God, God takes me to Jude, verse 24. 
When he closes and he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of glory with great joy. You. So God presents you. God presents me. God presents us. So it wasn't just Jesus coming to earth to get the glory back that he had before. He already had it. He chose to come to earth and to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He chose to be our sacrifice so that we can share in his glory. He drank the cup so we share in his glory. And, I, and then, so I'm thinking about, okay, this whole idea of the, this cup and, and we just celebrated and remembered communion together. And that night, Jesus changed everything about the Passover feast with the disciples because this, this is also Passover week. Passover goes back to, to, the, to the Jews in Egypt. Remember when, when God called Moses and he said, go get my people out of Egypt. Well, the night before they left was a Passover. And Moses told the, the, the nation of Israel, he said, take a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish, and that lamb has to be slaughtered and place the blood on the doorpost because tonight the angel will pass over in any home that is not covered by the blood, the firstborn will be taken. And so for centuries, the Jews celebrated the Passover feast to commemorate the freedom from bondage and the freedom from Egypt. And in this week, they're looking for that perfect spotless lamb because they know without blood, there is no forgiveness. Without blood, there is no freedom. And in the Old Testament, it was a lamb that was slaughtered. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walking on the scene, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when people were shouting for a Messiah politically, Jesus was riding in a perfect Lamb. The I Am who was and is and is to come is the Lamb slain for, before the foundation of the world. And in this time when they're bringing these perfect lambs without blemish to be sacrificed, Jesus is celebrating this meal with his disciples and he takes this cup and he offers it to the disciples. In Matthew 26, it says that he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he, he says, I'm not gonna drink this again with you. I'm not gonna celebrate the Passover until we have this in my Father's kingdom. But he's offering a cup to the disciples. And so I start thinking, okay, so we know in Jesus's cup was suffering and shame and death. So what's in the cup of this covenant that he offers us? What are you asking us to drink? And, and Jesus says this covenant, this covenant wine, Many translations insert the word new. I give you a cup of new covenant. Under the old covenant, it was under law. And Jesus is bringing a new covenant of grace. And the law was given, it's the top 10, you know, the, the, the thou shalt nots and thou shalt and thou shalt nots and, and the 10 commandments that were given to Moses. And the law was given and, and they were under the law. And the law was placed there not to show us how good we can be, 
but to show us our desperate need for a savior. Because a lot of us think, well, well, I, I like the law because I can follow the law. None of us can follow the law. I mean, when you start going down, and, and, and here we go. One of them says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. And so you're like, well, I haven't done that. Or maybe you have. You're in the right place. Forgiveness, grace, rehabilitation. You know, we're glad you're here. But thou shalt not murder. So the law is here to show us our need for a savior. And Jesus steps on the scene. He says, this is a new covenant of grace. We're no longer under law, we're under grace. And Jesus tells us, he said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Don't come to think that because I'm here, you, you can disregard this law and you don't need this law. That law is given so that you understand your need for me, but I give you grace. And, and here's where we get wrapped up in this, this covenant of grace is we start to think, well, I'm under grace. I don't have to follow the law. Let me help you with something in my study between, between law and grace. Grace always raises the bar. And that's contrary to what we think because we think grace is to make it easier. And so we, we look at grace, and let me, let me give you an example of raising the bar. Thou shalt not kill is, is one of the Ten Commandments under the law. And so the law is not abolished, but Jesus fulfills that law. But he says, here's how it goes a step further. You have heard that you should not commit murder. But I tell you that if you have harbored anger and hatred for your brother, you've committed murder. What does that do for us? It puts every one of us, regardless of our sin, regardless of what law we've broken or what law we think we can keep, it puts us all on level ground at the foot of the cross. Because I can't say, well, the law you broke is worse than the law that I broke. We have to understand that grace raised that bar and fulfilled a law, but calls us to something higher. And so we understand that we're all guilty. And what I love about grace, I said it doesn't lower the bar, it raises the bar. See, with the law, what we try to do is we try to climb over it. We try to do it ourselves. The law, we look at the law and we go, I can do that, or I'm gonna try to do that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna impose these, these restrictions on my life so that I can fulfill that. None of us have that power. What grace does is takes us and picks us up over the bar. And when we fall, because we all fall, grace picks us up, puts us over the bar. Grace doesn't lower the standard. If we lower the standard, then that, that, that's kind of making a knock against the holiness of God. It lifts us over the bar. And, and we get into this abuse of grace because we, we get into this lie. We buy into this lie where the enemy says, well, if you're under grace, do what you want. But you can live however you want because grace is there. God's gonna forgive you. There's grace. That's an abuse of grace. Paul makes the argument, the Apostle Paul makes the argument that if that's your mindset, then you need to do some gut checking here and some soul checking because it's possible you've never even been saved because grace transforms us from the inside out. It changes our perspective of sin. It changes our appetites for sin. It changes everything about us. It's a completely new covenant. We got to stop thinking as grace being the safety net that catches us when we want to do something stupid. Or uh, it's going to be there. Grace is there so I can do what I want. 
that's an abuse. And we have to wonder, are we even falling into this false idea of grace anyway? He gives a new covenant. And then he says, this is a a new covenant of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. So there's forgiveness in his cup. See, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. There can be no forgiveness. In the Old Testament system, under the law, there has to be a sacrifice. There would be a goat or a lamb. There had to be a sacrifice for sin to be forgiven. And Jesus says, I am that sacrifice. I'll take it once and for all. I'm gonna bear it on the cross and I will be what is needed for the forgiveness of sin. See, you and I are born with a sin debt that we can't atone for our own. We can't pay for this sin debt. We don't possess that ability. And Jesus says, I will take all of that on. So I take my cup of death to give you a cup of forgiveness. I take the cup of the wrath of God. See, we clean up the cross a lot, you know, and we, we try to make it pretty. It's, 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 it's one of the most brutal scenes of history. Not just physically what's going on, but spiritually what's going on. Jesus, who is without sin, who lived a perfect life, lays down his life on this cross. He carries this cross up the hill called the skull. He, he, he nails are placed through his hands, through his feet. He's wearing a crown of thorns. He's stripped naked. His clothes are gambled for. A spear is pierced in his side to ensure he's dead. And and, and physically, everything that's going on. But but let's understand the weight spiritually. The weight of the sin of the world was placed on him. All of our iniquities were placed on him. And in that moment, the wrath of God against sin came on Jesus Christ, our, our sacrifice. So that you and I, when grace changes us, there's a forgiveness in our life that cleans the slate. And and what I find interesting about this forgiveness is Jesus gave the cup and he says, drink it, all of you. He's offering this cup to every one of us. And and he says it's it's poured out for many. Why does it it say for all? Because he says all of you drink it, but it's only for many. Because here's the reality. And and this isn't a good Jesus sales pitch. So if that's what you're looking for, I'm sorry. I'm accountable to give you the truth. The truth is this. There's two cups that are set before us. Life and death. God says, choose life. But we will either choose to drink the cup that Jesus offers for the forgiveness of sin or we're going to drink the cup of wrath. See, every one of us will stand before God in our final days, in our final moment. When we draw our last breath, we'll be in the presence of God and we're either gonna meet him as redeemer or judge. There's, that's, that's the only way I can put it. But Jesus says, take this cup and drink it. He offers this cup. But he offers it to the disciples and he says, drink of it, all of you. What he's doing is he's passing the cup. Now, I'm just gonna say this. I, I'm not, I don't like drinking after people. I don't. I'm not gonna drink after you. We are not gonna do communion. That's the whole thing where there's one cup and there's a, I'm gonna stand up here and just pour it into your mouth. Uh, you know, and there may be time, I might be out of favor with God because I have bypassed communion because they're sharing a cup. I mean, Heather's, I, Heather can testify this. I don't wanna be standing in line behind you with your hacking up a lung and all this stuff coming out of your face 
and then oh, I'm gonna drink after that person? And I hear people say, well, the alcohol and the wine will kill the germs. We don't use alcohol here. People ask me, you know, did Jesus use wine? We can split hairs. But wine is wine, juice is juice. We use the most holy juice we can buy from Sam's. Um, And the reason we use juice is because this is a holy moment. It's sacred. The last thing I want to be responsible for is it becoming a stumbling block because we have people who have overcome addiction to alcohol in our church community. The last thing I want to do is take something holy and create a stumbling block. But we're not going to share a cup. And people say, well, the alcohol will kill the germs. Or it's made of gold or stainless steel and germs can't live on that. Hey, let me tell you something. There could be Purell in that cup. I'm still not drinking after you because I was looking at the label for Purell. It says it cleans 99.9. Okay, you might be carrying the point one. You might be the chosen point one. A matter of fact, I'll tell you, some of you, one of y'all was the point one last week because I got sick this last week. And it's because of point one of some of y'all, I got sick. I'm not drinking after you. But Jesus is offering this cup and what he's, what he's saying with his forgiveness is, I want you to drink it and I want you to pass it on. See, we, we, we like to receive forgiveness, yet we like to hold on to all of the offenses done to us. Yeah, you know, think of that parable that Jesus told about the man who was forgiven a great debt and he's relieved. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you've forgiven me. And he goes out and he sees somebody that owes him like 10 bucks and he's shaking him, grabbing him by the neck. You give me my money. And when we fall into that same trap, And if we're going to receive forgiveness, Jesus says, as you have been forgiven, so as you drink, so also you must forgive, so you pass the cup down. And we've got to give forgiveness, and and some of us wrestle with this. When I say, I I wrestle with this, because I get to a point where I'm like, I need grace and you need law, because you jacked up. (laughs) And then I come to the realization, I'm jacked up. I need grace because I'm jacked up, right? And some of us need to deal with forgiveness. Let me tell you something. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget the pain. Jesus is, through communion, saying, remember the cross. Remember the nails. Jesus still bears the scars. Remember the scars. Remember me. But remember what the pain brought Remember the cup I drank of suffering and death, but that cup brought forgiveness and grace. That cup brings life. We need the life that Jesus gives us. And here's what's happened is we've let unforgiveness rob us of life. And unforgiveness doesn't mean we forget the pain of the past. Forgiveness means I'm good. I'm not going to forget what you did to me, but but I'm good. I'm not going to continue to harbor bitterness towards you because I've forgiven you and I've let you off the hook for the pain you put in my life. Forgiveness is for me, not for you. You hurt me and I forgive you. It's for me. But here's where we get some things blurred that we're supposed to forget that. There's no way I can forget that pain but I can forgive it. The other thing that we get confused on is this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is for me. 
that says, I'm good. I'm not holding this over your head. Reconciliation is us determining at what level of relationship we have going forward. And some of us have let unforgiveness and bitterness rob us of life because we carry it. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life. In John 10, 10, he says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And I start thinking, okay, God, well, this abundant life, if I'm not living this abundant life, then I've gotta, I've gotta reconcile that I'm not drinking from your cup. But God, I'm struggling with this because life isn't always easy. And I, when I drink from your cup and I'm supposed to have this abundant life and, and I, I just, I'm supposed to overflow with joy and just, it's just abundant. And God challenged me, he said, so you think my abundant life is a life void of pain? No, I understand. I mean, John, Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, he said, you know, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. It's gonna, there's going to be days it's going to be hard. I, I get that, Jesus. He goes, no, no, no. But you still think that my abundant life is a life without pain. And he says, my abundant life means even in the pain there is a joy, not, not, not a happiness. Happiness is going to come and go. But there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a core in the depth of my soul that says I'm going to be all right. That even in this tribulation, that Jesus, when Jesus said I've overcome the world, that even when I face the things I'm, I'm facing, that he still has me in his nail-scarred hands that he still promised his presence every day of my life. No matter what I face, and that no matter what I face, he has come through that victoriously. He's come through that as the winner. And he says, my abundant life is my hope in you, my joy in you, my love in you, my peace in you, even when you face these trials. And it's not just this eternal life that when we die, we live forever. It's a life of sustaining until we even get to that point. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts when grace changes us. Because our identity is forever changed. And let me tell you something, I, I need grace. I need grace in my life. I need forgiveness in my life. And at the end of my days, I want to be able to stand before God and say, I did everything to live the life that you created me to live. I didn't do it perfect, and we're all going to fall short of the glory, and we go back to grace and forgiveness. But God has created you and has a life for you that's going to, it's bigger than I can manufacture. And so what it comes down to this morning is, Jesus has set the cup before us and we just, we have to declare in our life, I'm gonna take the cup. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for taking the cup of suffering and death and shame. We thank you for absorbing the wrath and being the way for us to be forgiven. And so I ask you, just as in the same courage and humility and submission that you took this cup the Father placed before you, give us that courage to take this cup that you offer us, this cup of life and this cup of grace and this cup of forgiveness. God, some of us are caught in this old system of trying to 
do things on our own and we need your grace to change us. We need your grace to make us new. We need your grace to save us. God, we need you to forgive us. Jesus, we ask you to forgive us where we have fallen short and we've missed the mark. And not just broken the law, but we, in our hearts we have sinned. We ask you for your forgiveness. And Jesus, we ask you for the courage to forgive others. Some of us are holding on to the cup. We want to drink your forgiveness, but we're unwilling to pass it on. And so we ask you for that courage. Jesus, we ask you to help us to live the life you've created us to live so that our life is bigger than we can imagine and that it stands to give you glory and our life stands as an example of your grace and your forgiveness at work in the life of me, the life of the church, the life of your your children. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com.